The Love Life Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Love Life Podcast with me, Tracy Clifford. And me, Annie Lavin. Annie Lavin is the relationship coach. She knows all about relationships. I, on the other hand, haven't got a clue, but I have plenty of experience. And I've also got plenty of experience in rowing the wrong way. That is the title of today's podcast. Um, Apparently, there is a wrong way to row. Uh, Today's podcast, we are going to, to talk about how you can have hard conversations how you can apologize the right way versus the wrong way and how learning your partner's love language can help communication and resolve conflict. Now, Annie, you think that there is a wrong way to row, but I want to ask you this question first before we get into this. Should we all aspire to be like that couple who absolutely never fight whatsoever and they're together about 15, 20 years? They're like, yeah, we don't fight. Is, is that is that what we should we we should all be aspiring to be like? Yeah, no, no is the answer. <laughs> <laughs> I was just I was just lost in thought there, going, yeah. My mind was kind of reeling back through. Okay, what couples have I seen that have really put things on the back burner and kind of swept little problems under? the carpet to the point that there is now left there's like a big mound under the carpet and they have to look at it eventually um no is my answer because I think if we're aspiring to the couple who don't fight we're aspiring to um to a couple that on some level have to be denying um what is truly irritating them because people irritate one another that's just a fact isn't it yeah, no, of course. But if someone irritates you all of the time, isn't it better to 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 shut up and put up rather than go crazy? Uh, depends maybe the level of irritation that we're dealing with. I mean, like, yes, I think <laughs> maybe we've got different levels of tolerance, Tracy. <laughs> That's it, isn't it? You know, find somebody that you have the same tolerance level with and then I think you'd be completely fine. But that's not the real world. If you know your deal breakers, you know, what things are really like, what things can you not handle? I mean, for me, straight away, I can, I can, I can think of um, like irritating things would be somebody who munches food really loudly. I mean, I would find that unbearable. (laughs) Oh, I I would find, I, I had one experience with that in the past. Oh no, couldn't handle that. But I know like we're not talking trivial things here. We're talking, yeah. you know, relationships, long-term relationships that can, you know, there there can be many resentments that are built up over the years. Um, one thing that comes up quite regularly will be things like household chores. That one is such a bone of contention for couples, you know, and the division of labor and then the, the unfair um, division of labor, I suppose, where one person feels they're doing more than the other person. And then that degree of unfairness can just fester. So coming back to the question, um, yeah, I think I think what we have to look at is expressing our needs in a moment. So yeah, there probably is so much that we have to turn a blind eye to. 
Um, but the things that really matter, um, we can't continually do that because who do we then become? Are we becoming someone who placates so that we avoid conflict at all costs? Or, you know, are we somebody who's able to stand in uh, expressing a part of who we are? Because I feel when we, if we, if we uh, deal with conflict in a healthy way, let's, let's use that term, um, we can learn more about ourselves and we can learn more about the other person we're in relationship with. And isn't that really what it's about when we're in relationship rather than kind of having this um, facade of being perfect, the perfect partner. Um, Plus it gets really irritating if somebody is presenting kind of an agreeable front all of the time. I I, I don't know. I think I would probably, I'd probably find that really hard to, um, to be with because it would feel rather uh, disingenuous, you know. Do you think that language is important when there is a row in a relationship, when you are the person who is not very happy with, say, for example, your partner not doing as much housework as you do? There, there could be a level of blame and then the other person could just shut down. So how important is it for you to get your message across without causing a huge argument (laughs) yeah language can be important you know I think when we're in that that state of emotional uh, arousal we we can move into uh, places of you always or you never and they're kind of absolute terms and um, they can be really triggering for people especially when generally it's not true it's not true that that the person you're in argument with never does this thing it's probably not true that they always do this other thing but you know when you're in that state of argument you're not you you know you're, you're probably not going to be thinking rationally so these words that you use can actually um, they can kind of ignite more fire into the conversation than perhaps is, is needed. But look, we're human. So <laughs> things like this happen. Um, but but um, what would you say is the instead of saying you never do this and you're always doing that and mm-hmm. what would be the best way to approach a situation? What language should you use there instead? I think uh, we can come back to the work of... Um, Rosenberg, you know, the nonviolent communication piece, the, he gives us a formula for how to do this more eloquently, which is by using <laughs> expressions like, uh, I feel when. So let's say you're feeling pretty resentful or you're, well, resentful is a feeling, but I'm feeling really hurt. I'm really feeling um, sad when uh, I feel that I'm the person who's constantly being left with the lion's share of the work, the household chores. What I'd really like is, so what that does is, first of all, it personalizes, you know, the grievance or the problem that you have. And the book kind of stops with you, so to speak, in some sense, you know, this is what I'm feeling when this happens. So you're not pointing the finger of blame on the other person. Um, And it also kind of helps you to manage your language. And then the second part is what I'd really like. It, It kind of what it does is it, it it would ask you to slow down and have a think about what you'd like before you'd have the conversation with the person too. And these are really good skills when it comes to, you know, communicating effectively, that you take the time to consider, well, uh, is, is, this, is this argument or is this, um, is it worthwhile? You know, is it important for me to bring this up? And if it is, what do I really want to get out of this? 
and and that can do something else it can also help you to realize are you going in for the argument in, into the argument for the argument's sake or is there kind of a purpose to the argument or the conversation um, I find that really interesting, uh, especially with that communication style of language then to get your point across. Because if you tell somebody how you feel, they can't dispute that because they're your feel- feelings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So so it's not, it's, it, it, you know, it's virtually impossible for somebody to behave in a defensive fashion um, to that. Because generally, well, in a lot of arguments, people you know, the, the way in which it can become ineffective is when people defend their position. And if you're in a defensive position, nothing ever really gets resolved, you know. Um, you know, people just can't seem to resolve issues because they can't seem to have respectful arguments about anything. And they just can't talk about anything meaningful, meaningfully. They can't do anything in a way that doesn't turn into this huge blazing row and, and and nothing gets solved when you're in that place. You've talked about triggers there when you are in that conflict, be it about the dishes, be it about trust issues, whatever. Mm-hmm. If you want to have a hard conversation with somebody, I just want to point out, by the way, that Mark is always on at me about the dishes and the housework. <laughs> uh, like it's not the <laughs> always me it's always me that's always the the person that hasn't unloaded the dishwasher properly or whatever anyway (laughs) I love that you said that Tracy I think it's really important because you know sometimes these socially ascribed roles they're they're so they're so unhelpful and you know that it it would have you know that it would have to be the, the 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 woman in this position who would be air quotes the nag you know the person who's always kind of onto the to the guy to 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 tidy up or to do whatever like I know a lot of friends who are in relationships where yeah the, their 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 male partners would be the ones who might do the the main share of cooking or the main share or equal share of cleaning and things like that so I do think sometimes like gender roles can um yeah can be used when they're not kind of they're not a fit you know the yeah, the stereotypes, I suppose, that surround um, issues in relationships, they're, they're not a fit. Yeah. Would you find that then um, when you are doing couples counselling that some men might find, because they've just been socialised that way, that when they hear their partner who is female uh, in this uh, situation, that they would stereotype women's uh, airing the grievance to be nagging? Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I don't mean to be sexist, and I don't mean to stereotype men, but I'm just asking in in a, in a in a heterosexual relationship, where it's like, oh, she's nagging again because I don't do this, and they just switch off. Is that a? Would you say that's a problem? Yeah, and I, I hear like your sensitivity around kind of even asking that question, Tracy, and I too have it. You know, a lot of a lot of the couples that I deal with, not 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 completely, but a lot of them, we kind of refer to heteronormative. Um, roles here when we're having this conversation but um yeah what you're what you're what you're asking is a really good question like I would often hear from the men who are in um uh straight relationships is uh you know oh I'm not very good at that (laughs) and I think it's I think it's so funny because you know it can can refer to things like household uh cleaning let's say oh I'm just not good at that you know and my excuse <laughs> is that your excuse Tracy <laughs> you just do it way better than I do there's no point because you're just going to redo it after me there's no point we're wasting both of our times here 
<laughs> oh my god it's such a universal out right let everybody use that one then because that one comes up quite a lot I'm just not good at that and I I, I generally um, laugh sometimes inside sometimes outside um when I hear that one yeah I'm not very good at that so sorry what did, did we have a question did you I was just the there just about when when do you see that with couples where mm. where they're stereotypical situation where a woman who has a request from somebody in a straight relationship may be depicted as a nag by their partner who is male or is that just avoidant are they just like do they shut down because it triggers them from growing up and their mom was giving out to them I don't know like yeah isn't it isn't it awful that that women seem to have um have been left with that label of nag. And it's very, very difficult and frustrating for somebody who is trying to have their needs met. Um, and if somebody is being avoidant and really dismissive of that person's feelings, then, yeah, I mean, deeply, deeply troubling because you're constantly going to be wanting to have that same need met. And if the if the other person is constantly doing as they do, you know, it, there does come a point, and it's, that's the great thing about come into couples coaching um, or couples counselling that you decide okay something needs to change here and we can learn some new ways of relating so that you know both of our needs can be met so the partner who is a little bit more avoidant and really can't tolerate somebody repeating you know a request over and over again that perhaps he or she can can learn to listen in a different way so that they really understand this is important to their partner, you know. Um, I don't think the person who's, you know, um, nagging, for want of a better word, is doing that because that's the best set of alternatives that, uh, you know, I, I don't think they're choosing to relate in that way only for the simple fact that they don't think there's any other way to do it, to have their needs met. And it's a habit they've kind of fallen into. Um, Because like you said at the beginning of the call, Tracy, you know, sometimes I need to raise my voice to feel like I'm heard. There's something about that that seems kind of similar to this person that I'm thinking of, you know, in, in in this context. If someone came to me and said to me, you never do the dishes. You, you, you always drive my car and use all my petrol. <laughs> you always do this. And you, I'm like, well, oh, 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 I would feel a little bit attacked. Where if someone came to me and was like, <laughs> I feel really sad and I fe- feel really unappreciated mm-hmm. that you do. I'd be like, oh my God, I am so, so sorry. It would get me in the feels and I would absolutely make sure that I would change my ways. So language is so powerful in conflict. Oh yeah, that is a great example, Tracy. I was laughing because I was, I was, I was, I was imagining you in this position, but like, yeah, you're so right. Like, you see, this is the thing I think that we can forget when we're in argument that it's important to come from, you know, am I balancing my head and my heart? If I'm coming all from my head, I'm going to probably come in with the big guns. I'm going to be coming in, you know, firing in all cylinders, telling you how this is so unfair, how this isn't right, how you're, you're, you're not even appreciating everything. And, you know, you're kind of coming, you probably come with a harsh tone, I would imagine. That's what I'm imagining now in my head when I'm starting to list all these reasons why I'm right and you're wrong. Um, mm-hmm. So these are all obviously not great ways to be approaching anything you, you want to resolve. Um, but 
we're human and we go there and sometimes we don't think we've any other alternative so that's all the head stuff so how can we then bring in our heart and and feelings and emotions are really where we're going to connect with another person it's it's just it's just how it works and I see it in the in the coaching room with couples all of the time you will see couples share what is upsetting them and they're sharing from their heads rather than their hearts and if you're sharing from your head and you're saying oh my god I can't believe you know you you've taken the car on me you know Monday Wednesday Friday I needed it and and you didn't seem to have any appreciation and you know you kind of go on this sort of um, monologue about why again you're right and they're wrong and you're not coming in with the heartfelt stuff the other person is going to respond from a head place too. And generally they move into the defense. So here we have two people um, having an argument or, or sharing in a way that's all head-based. So yeah, we, you know, I, I, um, I highlight that. I mean, that's, that's where all of the good stuff happens when we share from our heart. So what does that mean? But you know, Tracy, you, you, you knew that like instinctively you shared that you shared if somebody comes to me and they share from, from their heart, I'm going to, I'm going to respond with the feels and that's exactly it. So if you can drop when you're, when you're really upset or angry or um, whatever the feeling is, can you first of all acknowledge what the feelings are? I think that's a really, that can be a really hard first step for people if they're not, um, how do I sometimes phrase it? Like emotionally literate, you know, if they're not yeah. kind of engaged with their emotions regularly, it can be hard to identify what, what you're feeling. I mean, anyone who's ever gone to a therapist and the therapist says, well, what are you feeling? And they don't know. I'm speaking to those people, you know, like it's difficult sometimes to get a handle on how you feel until you practice it. It's as simple as that. It doesn't mean you don't have feelings. It just means you're not practiced in the art of listening um, and attuning to your own emotions. Mm. Um, I think in conflict, be it in, oh God, any sort of situation where you have a grievance in your life, be it like talking to a manager in a shop or, mm. you know, totally, you know, being a Karen here and being like, I want to speak to the manager. Or is it a shout out to all the Karens who I have loads of friends who are called Karen. I'm very <laughs> um, but, you know, if you come from a place of, you've just hit the nail on the head there, I've always gone in say, if I'm, if I'm really pissed off at something, mm-hmm. I'll come in from the head and I'll be angry and I'll, I'll just want to get it out of my system. Mm-hmm. Rather, if I, I feel like you could probably get a lot more out of the situation and get to the resolution quicker if you come from your heart about how you feel. I think that's a massive lesson today, Annie. I mm-hmm. really do. That yeah. is great advice. Yeah, coming from your heart is 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 a great thing to be reminded of not just in intimate you know romantic relationships but in all relationships there is one little um something that should come in fine print here and that's you need to be in a relatively healthy relationship for that for this to work or essentially what i mean is you need to not be in a toxic relationship because okay. if you're in a yep. really toxic relationship sometimes sharing from the heart can be um can actually be abused in 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 many ways you know people can scoff at your feelings which if so, if you're in a relationship that's and somebody's a red flag isn't it yeah, if someone scoffs at your feelings if someone yeah. scoffs if you're coming from the heart and someone scoffs at your feelings, red flag number one. They have no empathy of that one out. Yeah, I, yeah, that, you're you're yeah. so right. Yeah, zero tolerance to that. But I think it's just just 
yeah, for people to be mindful that if they are sharing and something strange happens in their interaction with the other person or the other person completely dismisses their feelings, that is not okay. So, yeah. you know, it's it's okay for you to really stand your ground on that one. Um, if somebody is being really dismissive of you sharing from the heart, that's not okay. You do not need to tolerate that. And you can you can you can be quite firm with somebody and say, I'm not gonna tolerate you 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 treating me like this, you know? Um and I'm 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 just I'm just gonna stop this conversation right now until until you know you're you're ready to listen to me um because we're not gonna we're not gonna resolve anything right here right now um so yeah 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 sharing from the heart and so having a balance between your head and your heart I think is probably the best thing come in knowing what you're feeling um and then share it you know in a in a in as calm a space as you can I think whenever we go into an argument all guns blazing nothing gets resolved i don't know what about you tracy do you do you you think it's helpful to sometimes maybe sometimes we do need to assert ourselves in a different way um in a different context but i just think when we're intimately relating um you know the majority of the times i think we need to we need to try and practice this one but maybe you know there's there's room to to um to meet i'm all i'm all up in my head and there obviously is room to meet of course there is but um i would let things fester and fester and fester and then they probably would be at boiling point and then you also have to bring in a little bit of pms into the situation mm-hmm. as well just probably mm-hmm. where that say one or two days before um, my period is where I just find myself being a little bit like, what am I even saying? Like, what am I even, mm-hmm. I know this makes absolute no sense. So I, I'm quite mindful of, of those days. But if, if there is something that is really pissing me off, um, no, I am one of those people that comes in with my head. And I've learned from speaking to you today that this is a, a great way uh, to change communication styles, come in with heart, because it is all hot air, I have the exact same feelings, but I'm just coming at it from a different approach. And if you keep doing that approach, you're just going to get a a bigger fight, which brings me on to the question. Say if somebody in, if you're in a relationship with somebody and they come at you with something, a row again, these are all trivial rows. We're not talking about domestic abuse or domestic violence. That's a completely Mm. different thing. This is just conflict within a relationship. Maybe they say they're always going to be there on time and they're never there or they, they keep, um, upsetting you when it comes to keeping a date, for example, you know, mm-hmm. just it, with trivial things and they're not trivial to you, but just situations within a relationship. Mm-hmm. And say if you're having a conversation with somebody and it turns into an argument because the other person doesn't hear you and you might feel that they are stonewalling you and then you might find yourself becoming angrier and angrier. What do you do in a situation when two people aren't communicating or rowing in the same way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like our communication styles, I think, is, is is what we're talking about here, isn't it? What, what you know, um, the way in which you row will always be linked to how you communicate. I mean, I think that's the first thing that people should really um, try to uh, become curious about. You know, what is your communication style? You know, would you be saying you're more in that explosive kind of fight-flight mode or would you say you're more of the person who would be in the category of shutting down, you know, kind of going silent? Um, There is some incredible um, 
reading out there for anybody who wants to go into this in a deeper level and they can they can look up polyvagal theory which helps to explain um you know the role of particular vagus nerve in emotion regulation so it helps us to um to, to, to meet ourselves and regulate our emotions in a more healthy way to find kind of a middle ground, essentially. So if you're imagining that, you know, my communication style is either, let's say, over here at the far end of the spectrum where I'm in this, as, they, as it's referred to in theory, in hyper arousal, you know, um, then I'm going to be the person who's quite explosive. You know, I'll find it hard to calm down and I'll probably be quite overwhelmed when I'm upset by something. Um, At the other then far end of the spectrum in the kind of hypo arousal, I'm more silent. I'm more shut down. I might even describe myself as being numb, frozen. You know, actually in, in this state, people can feel like overwhelmed, like they can't even find their voice. So I can identify with this one this more like uh, shut down one where I, I wouldn't be able to tolerate somebody, um, you know, kind of having an all out war with me. I, I probably wouldn't be able for that. I, I would find that really difficult. It would hurt you because there are situations where somebody could be in conflict with their partner and it's like deeply hurting them because yeah. they just do not do rows. Yeah, because and it, like, the relationship is not going to work because we had this massive row. Yeah, yeah. I remember being in relationship with a guy who, who who's, who's like way of being was that he was just kind of he really like just super um, explosive when it came to arguments. He he didn't seem to have any sort of middle ground. So it was really what's the word uh, unsettling to my nervous system. So I would have felt a deep sense of like um, feeling afraid, which is not a good feeling to have. I mean, like we can all have versions of fear when it comes to an argument you know based on our background based on our upbringing based on what an argument would have meant when we were a child um so i think i think um when it comes to our communication styles we can always look back to um to our childhood you know and to attachment styles you know what you know what was what model of safety and security was given to us from a very young age by our parents because it's that that generally is carried out you know, throughout our lives, that's generally what marks, well, it's a good marker for how we then communicate in relationships, particularly with people we love. So let me just finish that point. If we have, you know, any sort of an insecure or anxious attachment style, um, our communication is going to probably be quite worried and we'll need a lot of reassurance. You know, that's, that's, that's the anxious attachment. And then if we're the dismissive and avoidant, we'll likely be more in the category of the shutdown, you know, the, the place where, you know, I can't discuss things at all, or I won't discuss things at all. Um, so it's important that we don't dismiss the person who might not be able to speak in a particular moment, that we allow lots of breaks. You know, if, 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 if you're in an argument with your partner, it can be really interesting well, it's great if you can kind of become this skilled that you would be attuned to nonverbal cues. So what I mean by that is that you can really observe, you know, when they might be falling into this shutdown place. But you see, when you're in your hyper arousal, explosive um, space, you, you may not be able to focus even on the other person in the way that they might need you to. So, um, it's difficult. It's very, very, very challenging. So, um, 
So anything that I'm explaining here is absolutely no substitute for, for, for therapy of any kind. If you're in a relationship where you're having arguments and you're really upset by them or you're just really struggling, um, it can be very helpful to have a third party because that third party can do this emotional regulation for you or they can mirror the kind of emotional regulation that you would need. So let's say if I was in the position of therapist, I would be able to slow everything down so you won't be able to get into this hugely explosive row where you're going to hurt the other person. I'll be able to interrupt and say, okay, what have you heard the other person say here? And even that can be really difficult when people are emotionally so aroused, you know, when they're so um, highly charged. It can be just really difficult to even hear what the other person has said. And that's why we can we can jump to you know, the wrong conclusions. We can often get things wrong um, in an argument because tensions are so, so high. And the message then and the reason mm. why the row started in the whole first place yeah. is then completely like it, it's forgotten about because the, the fight may have gotten mm. in the way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. But you know what? You don't have to be controlled by your body and your mind. You know, you, you, you have power to tell them what to do. And this is why, you know, understanding uh, science theories like polyvagal theory can really help us to understand ways in which we can send messages to our bodies that it's, it's time to relax. It's time to de-stress. And, and that can lead to, you know, even micro moments of telling your body it's okay. I'm safe. You know, because when we're in these really, um, kind of, you know, both, hyperarousal, hypoarousal, when we're in the explosive or when they're silent place, we're, we're really uh, shouting for safety, like for survival, really. That's what our, you know, the old parts, uh, parts of our brain is telling us, you know, that we, we won't survive. That's why we're in these like really extreme places. Our body needs to be told we are safe. It's okay, you know, um, and to be able to then, to then kind of meet the other person in the middle and to be able to speak and to be able to um, to talk in, in, a, in a healthy way. But, you know, lots of us have experienced trauma in childhood. So if you throw that into the mix, then, then it kind of brings extra layers of sensitivity to all of this work. So Are they your triggers? Well, if somebody has, has experienced um, um, trauma in childhood growing up, then they may have triggers that are related to the trauma. So, for example, let's say some of some of the trauma could be that I have been, um, uh, let's say, enmeshment is a part of my family system. So everybody's business is my business and everybody else's feelings. I'm confused. My feelings is it my feelings is it your feelings. And um, if you grew up in that kind of a household, you know, any kind of closeness can feel almost suffocating. So that could be a trigger for you. Um so I don't know if I've actually answered that question very well, but our triggers are generally the things that um, when our feelings are hurt, when, when we feel offended, we can, that, that they're really our triggers, things that would really kind of, um, yeah, up, upset us. So my trigger, for example, would be if somebody's really, really loud and, and really argumentative a lot of the time, I'll feel unsafe. I'll, it, it, another one could be if I perceive someone's not being truthful, respectful, loyal, any of those things. Or another one for me, actually, I've noticed recently is if if I'm in the company of somebody, let's say, who's really judgmental of other people 
and is quite outspoken about that. I find my nerve, I, like, it's amazing when you start to really tune into your nervous system. But I would notice my body kind of contracts a little bit. It's like, oh, because I, th- I think what my body is, is, is signaling is this person isn't safe. This isn't safe. Because then, of course, I go into my head and I'll tell myself a story that, oh, wow, if they're going to talk so, so harshly about somebody else, there's probably a chance it's going to be my turn when I'm not around. So this doesn't make me feel safe. So, so actually having a sense of your triggers means you can make decisions around, you know, what is healthy for who, what and whom are healthy for you to be around and for you also to come in and tell yourself you are safe. So even if you're in the company of somebody who is judgmental or, you know, being whoever they are being, that, that you can allow them that and not run from them scared and actually just say to yourself, it's okay, you know, they're, they're who they are, you're who you are. And yeah, yeah. Because triggers has become like, you know, um, being triggered, it's become a bit of a buzzword mm-hmm. uh, over the past while. Um, but to learn what your own triggers are, I think you need to, to, to look back at your childhood or, you know, teenage years or, or, or whatever, you might find it there because you could be listening to this and be like, I don't know what my triggers are. I really don't know. Well, you know, you yeah. know what's, where is a really good place to start to, to just, just reflect back on, on those arguments you've had that have been, that may have felt like an overreaction. So if you know, you know, sometimes we don't know overreactions when we're in them. We're very good at convincing ourselves you know, that was out. You know, we can tell ourselves some wonderful stories to um, assure ourselves that actually we're not we're not overreacting. But you'll know as time has passed, there'll probably be a theme in some of the arguments that you've had or some of the things that have really, really annoyed you. Just just think back to the occasions where you've been super, super, super pissed off about something. And therein lies probably a little nugget around helping you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> have you got some, like, Tracy? I've got it. Like being accused of something I haven't done okay. is my biggest trigger. Being blamed for something that I haven't done or mm-hmm. like, yeah, being accused of something that I haven't have is my biggest, mm-hmm. that's my biggest one. Like I feel like wronged like so wronged I can't even express it like it's yeah mm-hmm. it's 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 so and I, it does stem from childhood I know that I definitely know that from being in school I mean accused of something that I definitely didn't do and it's just and in my adult life that is the worst thing you could say to me like I it's it's a little bit of an irrational reaction like I, I can't I can't it's it's like you're pre- you're triggering me. You're pressing a button, and I don't know what's going to happen because it's just like no, yes. <laughs> like you do not go there with me. You don't out. Yeah, yes, uh, we, that is a big one for me. Yeah, yeah, we all have them, and and the fact that you're able to make the link back to childhood is really good. Some people may not have that, but anyone who's probably done some work with a therapist or is really good at reflecting, um, they they might be able to make the links. And if you're able to make the links, you see, it can help with your languaging when it comes to self soothing. So. If for you, Tracy, um, you know, it might be really helpful for you if you're ever in that triggered place again, that you can, you can tell yourself that you are okay, you know, that you can take care of yourself because, you know, it's all, it's almost like we have to talk to our inner child with all the love and compassion that we didn't get back in that place in time where you truly really needed it, you know? it's funny because when I look back at that situation it's so trivial it's so minute like it's tiny 
But it's so strange that to maybe a kid who was like eight or nine, that it's carried on into your adult life. That is fascinating to me, Annie. It really mm. is. Well, you see, our body holds stress, you know. So like your natural stress response would have been that you would have been able to let that go or release it in some way. But your body held on to it because... There was something about it that, you know, that there, there wasn't a natural expression of it. You know, maybe you needed to talk to somebody. Maybe you needed somebody to hold you, to soothe you, to tell you you were okay. And, and you know, quite probably at the time, you mightn't have had the skill. Of course you didn't have the skills. You were a child to, to, to be able to, to work this out yourself. And, you know, quite often adults in our lives wouldn't have known what we needed either, um, so it's not that it's anyone's fault, but it, it 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 is incredible that sometimes our past can be very very much in our present, and yeah, very small things can just bring up. It's almost like this wound that is exposed, and and if you notice that you have a reaction to something, it's like somebody is putting salt into this wound. I'm having this really visceral. Um, reaction and I know it's it's deeper than what's happening today there's something about it that's somehow there's a history in my past and I'm not sure what it is so be mindful of your reactions because they're basically telling you something about your Mm. past if you've never if you've never thought about what your triggers are if you feel deeply hurt by something and and someone else might kind of go ah but like that's not that bad but it is that bad to you Mm -hmm. that is a big sign as to where your your possible triggers could be. Annie, I find that absolutely fascinating. I really, really do. It's, yeah. I, I think it like, it might give people, oh, definitely me, um, an insight into why I might react to some things differently compared to something else. Even if you're not, if, you know, triggers aren't coming to you, you know, as you're, as you're listening now, um, even think of those more trivial things. Like, you know, there's probably a theme to, why aren't you unloading the dishwasher? There could be, you know, it could be a theme around unfairness. Um, there could be themes around other smaller things that um, that may seem small, but generally arguments that at first may seem quite f- small, if we kind of drop a little bit deeper, we can generally find there's a little bit more to them. When you are having a little bit of a situation where you're trying to communicate with each other and you're trying to, to resolve an issue, to know that some things trigger a person may make the situation um, a little more easier to navigate mm-hmm. so that uh, when, you, when you trigger somebody or you're bringing up something, you might know it's actually not you that is bringing up that something. It's just a childhood wound. Oh yeah, Tracy, that's that's like so important. I'm glad you brought that up because what what can be really helpful in a relationship is if if I know my partner's triggers and they know mine, then you know we're assuming we're in a really healthy relationship. It's going to be really. Um, going to be really helpful for each other to know one another's triggers because we won't go stamping all over those you know in an argument or let's say we know somebody is and maybe has a trigger or fear around abandonment that you might be able to uh, you know do some additional reassuring in 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 a moment if you're arguing with them you know you might say okay i you know i'm 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 needing to walk away from this right now but i'm not leaving you you know i'm not i'm not rejecting you um but this argument just needs to close for me. I need to take a break. So you're, you're just reassuring your partner. If you know that they have a trigger around being abandoned, that you're, you're letting them know, okay, I'm not running away from you, but um, I need to close this down right now. Because for some people, even ending 
an argument or ending a conversation about something can be really triggering um, if they feel, you know, they haven't kind of resolved something. You can you can stop. You don't have to continue with an argument um, until it reaches conclusion. You Most people, myself definitely included in this, will need to take breaks, you know, and return to the, to the conversation. So whoever takes the break can be the person who, who kind of, you know, follows up with where you guys left off. It's a very mature way to resolve conflict. Oh, like yes. Minding yourself and minding your partner. Like, I, this is not resolved, but let's take a break on it. Rather than being um, all full of hot air and mm. loud voices and sometimes arguments might get personal or even even rouse at that, mm. with relationships with me in the past, it might have gotten a little bit nasty. Oh, and yeah. it's just that's just completely um, mm. overtaking what the actual situation was about. Mm in the first place you know but yes 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 it's not about scoring points you know you have to see the goal of one of these arguments um to reach a resolution you know it's it's negotiating conflict it's not that we're going to become um the best person at at, at, um defending or uh, the best person at proving to the other person that we're right and they're wrong that just that is a that's that's the attitude a lot of people take going into arguments because they see them in this way but the reality is is very very different and then if you throw things like cultural differences in, in into the mix I mean that can just add a whole new flavor and also let's not forget context you know if we're under extra stress our window of tolerance is going to be really, really low. So, you know, let's bear that in mind, especially now, uh, COVID, lockdown, everything else that's happening. We don't have as many um, ways to kind of refuel. Um, so context, context, context. So just just bear all of that in mind. Not just COVID, but like, you know, let's say, for example, you know your partner has a particular time and he's going through, uh, he or she, or they're going through a different, t- a difficult time at work. They might have extra stress. They might have um, extended family issues, bereavement. Gosh, there's so much. The, the list is endless. So you might kind of look at things with a bird's eye view, you know, either is it a good time for us to have this conversation? Is it a good time for me to broach my partner? Let's say, you you gave the example of premenstrual. It could be absolutely anything, but like for you to know yourself well enough to know, is this something I should sleep on, or is this something that you know we really need to talk through right now? Love languages mm-hmm. in, and communication styles when there is a little bit of conflict in a relationship. Knowing your partner's love languages or your love languages. There are a couple of love languages. Talk me through a couple of them so that you might know what your partner is like when you want to resolve conflict. Yeah, there's five love languages. And actually, for anybody who's listening who'd like to understand a little bit more about it, you can go to the the Love Languages website. The Five Love Languages, I think, is the is the website. Um, uh, Gary Chapman is the name of the guy who created um, this framework, and um, yeah, they're they're as he describes them, love languages that we can all have different versions of them. And there's a very simple questionnaire you can take to discover what your love language is. Um, there is touch, affection. That's one. Um, so if you're somebody who's, who's, um, whose love language is this one, you, you would really get so much from holding someone's hand, maybe from your partner, just like gently touching you and being close with you. Um, that's really going to fill you up, that idea of just 
um, yeah, being affectionate with one another, physically affectionate. Um, second one, uh, quality time. So the person who really, um, really likes this particular or whose love language is quality time, they'll, they'll, they'll want to be spending, um, as it says, quality time with one another. Um, third one is acts of service. So if your love language is an act of service, you'll probably be the person who will really appreciate it when your partner maybe puts out the bins or maybe you're in the middle of, I don't know, a big project, you need some help with it and they, 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 they help you out. Um, fourth one is gifts. So you'll know yourself if you're the type of person who really responds well to gifts you'll know that, ah, okay, this, this is, this is definitely my love language. I light up when somebody thinks of me and buys me a little gift. Um, and then the last one is, uh, words of affirmation. So, so yeah, um, you know, do, do I feel, and again, it's about like kind of dropping into your body. How do I feel when someone says sweet words to me? This one, would, words of affirmation would be a big one for me and, and affection and touch. I definitely know, that if somebody was to say sweet words to me, they kind of, they do t- touch me quite deeply. Um, and yeah, I, I, I probably would have known that before I did the quiz, but, um, there's probably some people who may never have thought about this stuff before. So they might have a hunch, but they mightn't be completely sure. So it's just a nice little framework for you to, you know, try out and have fun with, um, let your partner do it too. And then it can be a really sweet thing if, both of you kind of commit to um, responding, speaking the other one's love language. So, for example, if um, my partner was to uh, be really considerate to me and want to um, kind of meet me where I'm at, it would be that he would be speaking words of beautiful, beautiful words of affirmation to me and would be really affectionate. Oh, yeah, last tag and stuff like that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I find that so, super interesting because um, I've only learned about the love languages recently by talking to you, Annie, because we all think that love should be a certain way mm-hmm. and that um, my way of loving and my way of showing my love should be the, I should reciprocate it in the exact same way. But mm-hmm. it's not like that at all, because like you, I would be um, words of affirmation and hugs. That's how I would show my love Aww. to somebody is by by being affectionate and words of affirmation. Like I would big somebody up or tell them I love them. That's <laughs> that's how I show my love. I know. And, and with my partner, Mark, though, I, I've realized now he, he, you know, he ticks a lot of the boxes, but his big thing, I think, is acts of service. Mm-hmm. And I don't reciprocate that enough, possibly. Like he would do more little things for me and that's his way of showing his love for yeah. me. You know, like a cup of tea, for example, or or setting up my microphone for this podcast yeah. today, for example. Like that's that's his way of showing. So I need, and then I would probably like show my love back by just giving him a hug. But actually, I think he would appreciate it more if I cleaned up after me and closed his computer down and put the cords away. He'd be delighted. He'd prefer that more than a hug. Do you know what I mean? Like, but that's brilliant. You're, you're, you're describing exactly how it is for most people. I will probably show my love through saying sweet things and possibly through touch and affection. Yeah, I mean, quite that that probably is how, how I do it. And then, um, yeah, I can be, if, if I was partnered with somebody who had a completely different love language, we could be completely sidestepping one another and then not feeling the love. Because if, yeah. if like, 
you are describing Marx, Mark would appreciate acts of service. He does acts of service. You can really see how sometimes it can take a conscious effort then to really tap into. Oh, okay. So maybe, maybe, maybe I sh- maybe maybe there's a different way to do this. Maybe there's another way that I can kind of just um, tunnel my or channel my my love. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. I kind of your love language is your love language, but if you um, speak theirs, I think it might be appreciated more, yeah. especially when you're trying to resolve conflict to show that you you care definitely. Um, I love I, I love that I love that we're just kind of ending it with this, Tracy, because I think it's a really nice way of saying, you know, if if there has been conflict, that we don't have to leave things with like the, kind of this this kind of empty feeling that we can have ways. And this is one lovely way to kind of like touch into and say, right, well, I'm going to make more of an effort in this regard because, you know, I think we've spoken about this before in other, other episodes, you know, love is, is not just something that happens. It's something that we have to apply conscious effort into. So this is just, yeah, Yeah. a lovely little tool to use. But again, it's like, you know, we, if you want to resolve something with somebody, you're speaking their language Mm -hmm. and you are showing up in their, uh, you're speaking their language of love and just because you know you like to get a hug or you might like somebody to say something nice to you that you you might resolve conflict that way kind of go oh okay everything's fine now but actually say someone's love language is an act of service they don't need your words they don't need your hug they need your act of service then Mm -hmm. to show you Mm -hmm. for you to show them that you love them like that's that's what I've taken from from love languages it from you anyway Mm -hmm. Annie um before we finish it up and I think we've gone through so much I've learned so much in this podcast today and I really really have I'm gonna be brilliant from now on like seriously (laughs) 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 Um, apologizing is there a right way to apologize and is there a wrong way to apologize what do you think Oh, okay. Well, to because because I know we're kind of coming towards the end, we we keep it brief. But what do I think about apologies? I think you again have to try and drop into your heart space. And you know, one really good rule of thumb is uh, never say what I'm just about to say, which is I hope I get this right now. Um, I'm sorry that you feel dot dot dot. <laughs> I'm sorry you feel that way. That is not an apology. Yeah. In any this is in work with friends and relationship with family. That is not an apology. It's such a slap in the face, isn't it? When you hear it like well, I'm sorry. Look, eyes looking down at the ground and cast down. I am sorry. That is not I'm sorry you feel that way. No, no, not an apology. Oh god. So just don't do that (laughs) try and drop into your heart and try and say something that really feels that is meaning you know that that you meet like you have to feel it like do you feel sorry then 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 i hear you i think there's an apology i hear i hear hear you i hear you i understand why yeah i can understand why you would be pissed off with me right now i'm so sorry i messed up and what can i do to make this up yeah, can you forgive me? Yeah, any of that is is much better than I'm really sorry you feel that way. <laughs> and last but not least, yeah. okay, I, I I always wonder about this mm-hmm. one. You know, when you go to a wedding and whoever is in the wedding party gives a speech, and this is probably like from years ago when people got married, age nineteen or whatever, mm-hmm. and it's like I've got some advice now for you guys entering into this. Um, matrimony etc etc and it's to never go to bed on a row Mm -hmm. is that I think that is good sage advice 
Oh, okay. Never go to bed on a row. Yeah. Or do you think? So? I, I mean, I, I would like. I would yeah. like to think that. Yeah. Like, I'm not in a relationship at the moment, but I think it's a nice um, philosophy that I would probably try. Um, look, we're not perfect. Sometimes, sometimes, let's say we're both absolutely exhausted, and we've come to that point where we're both flooded, and we can't kind of talk about this any further. I think, kind of saying, listen, let's just try and park this. Can we? Can we talk about it in the morning? I think there's loads of variations to let's park this right now. Let's come back to it in the morning. Um, oh, look, I think the other thing we have to remember is each couple kind of designs how things work best for them. So I think given everything yeah. we know about triggers being so unique, attachment styles being so unique, communication style being so unique, we kind of have to look at, okay, who are you and who are you in relationship with and what works best for the two of you? in terms of having to take breaks and coming back to things the following day. What I would say is do not let things fester. Don't take a break that lasts for a week, you know. Take a break that lasts for maybe a half an hour, an hour. But if you need to take the the, the night to sleep on something, I, I mean, again, it depends on context, doesn't it really, Tracy? Just I, I always remember that saying, like, you know, don't go to bed in a row. So if you have conflict in your relationship, you're like, well, I'm not supposed to go to bed in a row. We need to sort this out now. Like, you might be doing more harm than good. I, I think, like, I think it's great to have these kind of, like, lovely sets of values that, you know, we could almost have laminated on a wall and have them as ideals but that like then real life happens so we do we we do the best we can that kind of fits with being loving and kind to and respectful to our partners so whatever that means for you in your relationship I think you know for some people it might be we cannot keep you know, pushing through with this argument, it's like 3 a.m. now, you know, we have to work in the morning. Are we supposed to keep fighting? Yeah. Are we supposed to keep talking? Because we're not supposed to yeah. sleep on, on an argument. But sometimes the, the, the conflict, the row becomes the row rather than the issue. And mm-hmm. the issue doesn't get resolved. It becomes more about the styling of fighting and it just becomes becomes bigger than it should have been, you know. But Annie, yeah. Uh, we have the, the name of this podcast was The Wrong Way to Row. And I think right now, after listening to this and all the tips and brilliant advice that you've given us today, it's now become like the terrific way to have a tiff. Oh, great. Good. I enjoyed it. Thanks, Tracy. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Love Life podcast with the relationship coach Annie Lavin and me, Tracy Clifford. As always, if you've enjoyed this episode and think a friend or a family member could benefit from hearing it, then please share this podcast. We'd also love you could take a minute to rate, review and or subscribe to the podcast as it really helps to spread the word and normalise how we can all struggle in love and how we're all not alone. If you've already done this, amazing. And Thank you so much for your support. Talk to you soon.